everybody. Welcome back to the Word Up Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Finney, and today we have a great special guest joining us, Mr. Evan Ross. Evan is my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, and uh, he is a friend, a colleague, a mentor, a leader, uh, a teacher by trade. He's such a great person, and I got the honor and privilege to catch a recording with him right before he left with him him and his family uh, they left for Morocco and we sat down a few days before he left and were able to record an episode in the in the episode you'll hear Evan share some of his great thoughts about theology life in the church God and just his overall view uh, of what life as a Christian should be like you'll also hear his family in the background getting ready to pack up, have a good time. We caught this episode on a, on a Sunday evening, and it was just a great time to come together one last time before they got out. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you guys uh, feel encouraged by this message. Hi, Evan. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for joining me in today's episode. It's my pleasure. <laughs> um, I know you. Uh, you're my wife's brother. Yes. My brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, yeah. But would you just introduce yourself to our audience today? Sure. I'm Ryan's brother-in-law. <laughs> um, he's, he's married to my little sister, Emily, um, who neither of us look exactly like our parents, yet somehow we look like each other, um, except she's much prettier than I am because she is a girl and I am a guy. But anyways, um, slight introduction to myself. I have been married to my beautiful wife, Vanessa. Now for um, 10 years, and we have two beautiful children, Abram and Satine, and uh, I am a teacher by trade. I have uh, taught 12 years, and I am also uh, have been a lay leader at a New Frontiers church in St. Joseph, Missouri um, for about eight, eight years, I believe, eight, almost nine maybe. Um, but I just um, finished up my last service there for at least a little bit because my family, uh, we are going to move to Casablanca, Morocco um, because we have accepted positions at an international school there because it has been our um, desire for a long time to go overseas, but primarily to provide our children the best education possible. And we feel like an international school will not only afford them a uh, high-quality education, but will afford them uh, cultural experiences that we could not provide them otherwise. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you were thinking, and again, even as I've known you, so I've always known you as living in St. Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you and Vanessa, your wife, decided to be in St. Joe because of the direction and guidance from God. That Yeah. Can you kind of just talk about that and how you... Yes, most certainly. Um, So St. Joseph was a town that I think prior to me moving to uh, St. Joseph was a town that one time I went to for a debate tournament, and that was the extent of it. It was just a city I drove through to get to Maryville, where I went to school, um, between Kansas City and Maryville. Uh, However, uh, Vanessa and I were engaged, and she still had a year to finish up at Northwest, and I... Uh, we wanted to be married, and so I needed to find a teaching position um, that was workable. And in Maryville, there was one speech and theater teacher at the time, and he I knew who he was, and he wasn't giving up his job. So I got a position in St. Joseph. 
Um, we then spent some time in Maryville, but we moved to St. Joseph for what we thought was going to be a temporary year um, because Vanessa was doing her student teaching. Um, it was it was our thought that we would move to Kansas City where the pay was better and um, where we, since we grew up in Kansas City. Um, however, we felt very clearly um, God telling us um, to stay in St. Joseph. And it actually, what had happened first was God called us to a church. I grew up in a church, North Lane Cathedral, but it, it, I wasn't attending it regularly because I didn't live in the city. And um, I felt God clearly tell us that we needed to be a part of a local community. And we found New Frontiers, um, we found Living Hope Church, uh, which at the time I was looking very specifically for a reformed charismatic church. I was listening to a lot of Mark Driscoll at the time, which really was upping my concern for reformed theology, but I was also grew up Assemblies of God, and I still um, believe that the Holy Spirit operates today. And so, so I wanted to find a church that had those similar values, which there's not a whole lot. And for some reason, I drove past Living Hope Church. I, for some reason, said, you know what, I think that's a Reformed Charismatic Church. Hadn't looked online, hadn't done anything, just walked through the doors and um, felt very clearly pretty much from the first Sunday, God telling us to, uh, to be there. Um, they connected to us very quickly, um, invested in us. And, and um, on the first they had a prayer week, and on that first prayer week, Vanessa and I, both independently of each other, really felt God saying that we needed to stay in St. Joseph. And we felt very clearly that it was God because neither of us wanted to live in St. Joseph. Neither of us wanted to be in St. Joseph. So we really felt this is clearly God speaking to us because there's no reason why either of us would, of our own volition, want to stay in St. Joseph. And, um, and then 10 years later... Um, here we are, and it was an opportunity for really for us to discover what we really think the church is, what it means to live out uh, a New Testament ecclesiology in the church. Not to say that there aren't good churches, there are tons of good churches, but I have not met few churches who take seriously um, looking at the New Testament example for how churches should be run, both by how their leadership should be structured and how the body should operate. And being a part of New Frontiers, uh, which globally is called New Frontiers, we've recently changed our name to Confluence in the United States, the idea that we're not bound by um, documents, by a denominational structure, but bound by relationship, uh, which we think we see through uh, examples such as Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus, that was um, something that that God, I think, wanted to invest in us for us to take um, on our next leg of the journey. That's fantastic. That's a that's a very long introduction of myself, <laughs> but that sums it up, I think. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so you love theology, you love the church, you love your wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Yeah, those are all <laughs> things I love. And your children? Mm-hmm. Um, those two? Yeah. When did you fall in love with theology? And you talked about how you were listening to a lot of Mark Driscoll mm-hmm. and the Reformed Church. And yeah. When did all that happen? Mm-hmm. And um, well, I've um, it's been a part of me for a long time. Um, I've I've this this sounds 
like I'm patting myself on the back, but I would consider myself a critical thinker. Um, and even though my parents raised me in the church, my faith is my own faith. Even right. though my parents have grown, they've been in this church for a very long time, but I would still say theologically they probably haven't shifted much beyond their beliefs prior, you know, being being Lutheran perhaps and or, or even... Yeah, I don't know, but I, I would definitely say that um, unlike my parents who came into the church as adults with preformed theological conceptions, I grew up in the church, um, and I did not reject the church, but um, when one reaches their teen years, they have to legitimately um, decide for themselves what they believe um, as they begin to see that there is the world uh, there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world and they're different and you have to decide um, what you believe about those. You have to believe about what scripture says um, because um, it, the world says differently and you have to believe uh, what, who is Jesus and um, who is God and how does he speak to people. And so um, I was really involved in debate in high school. I just, I like ideas. I like thinking I don't want to believe anything because it's been told to me, but I want to believe something because it is true. I'm a very much um, a modernist in, this, in, the, in the sense that I believe um, that there is such a thing as truth and there's such a thing as falseness. And there's, um, a, while um, I'm a very finite um, that it is a worthwhile pursuit in my life to move myself towards truth and whatever that journey looks like. And actually, that's my theology has changed over the years um, as I think actually it's be healthy for anyone too. Um, and because um, if, if not, then I see severely wonder whether you're you're challenging the dogmas um of what you're grown grown up into um how do, how do you i just want to like detour a little bit like how do you how do you do that though and how do you do way? that um how do you do that in a healthy way that's a good question yeah i while while my theology has changed over time i've never departed from orthodox theology mm-hmm. um i do sincerely believe that scripture is really obvious on the important stuff. Um, Who Jesus Christ is, his deity, who God is, how we're involved in his story, who we are as human beings, our innate sinfulness, our innate need for grace, and um, the need for a um, savior, for God to interject himself into the story through Jesus Christ uh, to redeem us, to ultimately show his love, and ultimately for us to live in a, a glorified community, um, you know, basically bringing back the uh, Edenic vision that God had, um, linking Genesis to Revelation um, from garden to garden. That stuff's really obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, anybody who challenges that, I believe, is just not being sincere with the text. I, I, I respect people who think that the Bible is... Um, maybe just neat stories, um, or it's just hooey, um, just stuff 
that um, people put together stories, but I really don't respect people who want to have their cake and eat it too, that want to say it's that God exists and Jesus loves you, but we're going to take these words and we're going to shape them into whatever's convenient for us in the cur- current cultural milieu. Mm-hmm. Um, if Jesus is real, if he is who he says he is, uh, then we have a, a mandate to live um, by his commands, and if that is true, you're going to live. Um, you're, you're going to live radically different than the way that the culture would call you to, whatever culture that is. Um, and it might look different, but so to in order to do that, I think it um, it requires a willingness to read scripture. And to listen to multiple voices, um, and not all from the same stream, but listen to a bunch of different voices. But then, you know, I don't know if this is from debate, but just trying to figure out how the the logic of the argument unfolds and... And allowing that, uh, uh, trying trying to allow the argument to enroll in your in your brain, uh, the cause and effect, how things connect to one another, and and yeah, and so as new information presents itself, um, then you have to come in terms with that new information. And over my life, growing in my faith, I've learned so many new things about the Bible. Uh, in the context it was written in, and and for the people who was it was originally written for, it's written for me, but first and foremost, it was written by Jewish people for Jewish people, um, and so understanding that context and allowing that information to challenge my my preconceived notions or the preconceived notions of my tradition, um, and sometimes my traditions were right. And then other times I look at it and go, I don't know, I don't know if that is the case. And then also, but also being willing to think that um, the vaguer the issue is, um, probably the more grace God has, and and um, having disagreement. I really think it is a shame that we live in a, probably this is more in the West than in other places, but a place where people really. Um, separate themselves on all different sorts of theological issues and it doesn't allow a sincere pursuit of growing deeper because we don't challenge ourselves we just go we just we just become tribal and um, there's not a lot of churches where they say you know what if you're you know you're going on this different trajectory and let's explore that and legitimately. Let's not, you know, instead of just shutting you down, here's our arguments, allowing you to pursue that. Um, and, of course, understanding, you know, the heart of what Christianity is. And, uh, you know, and so so there's certain issues. I just think it would be so much nicer if instead of people separating churches over, we just had legitimate discussions on. And even if even if people decided to part ways, they would do so amicably. Uh, because I really do believe we are the body. The church is called to be the body of Christ, and it's weird to have uh, a body that's so um, disconnected from um, each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in the New Testament, we see over and over again the word uh, ecclesia being the word to describe the church, mm-hmm. and that's a 
Greek word that describes a body of people that make decisions and come together to influence and mm-hmm. and eventually gets you know into the church. And right. as we've grown, it seems like the church has become more disconnected with each other, and the body is becoming more, um, for lack of a better term, maybe uh, competing against each other. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of. Um, I think there. I think that comes when there's not a lot of persecution. Mm-hmm. I think in the United States, until maybe very recently, um, we've enjoyed a privileged position where we haven't been particularly challenged and so it allowed us to um, develop camps over more and more minor issues I also think that as wonderful as the internet is today people also um, surround themselves by particular um, cults of personality mm-hmm. and so this guy versus this guy and and so I don't think you're I, I don't think you see that as much uh, globally where um, there's more persecution where you really uh, you know once real persecution happens and suddenly those those differences become really minor and you recognize now we're in the same boat together mm-hmm. even if you think that women can be pastors and I don't or something like that mm-hmm. um, and so yeah so it's a really shame it's real shame and you know you did point out um, the, the idea that the, the church is a body of believers it's not a physical location is a group of people uh, that are part of the body and I, I do wish that um, we would as you know just as believers in general um, recognize a more active role in all individuals as being a part of the church and begin to move the conversations about Western faith away from individual decisions about who Jesus is and how my individual spirit life is going and recognize a more communal sense of who we are um, rather than trying to um, individualize everything. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good word. I don't know if that uh, no, that's good. answers the question, but... Yeah, I think we, it's a good topic to bring up. I mean, so many times we kind of just get influenced by the, the new sexy thing that's going on. And right. The, the lights, the fog, the... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're young, and I've definitely um, been fallen victim to that to some degree. And sometimes people come up with, you know, great stuff, but then it's like, you know... But in the end, what are you doing in your local body? I always worry about people whom um, seem to get all of their theological growth from from outside the body that they're a part of. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's always weird. You know, having preached now for eight years, knowing that. Um, there's some individuals in the in the audience who will compare me to, you know, uh, he's the the famous of the famous, and going, oh, it's not really. Look, man, I'm a speech and theater teacher who who gets to do this part time. I'm not, you know, yeah. you know. Um, that being said, I, I, I feel like I feel like I exegete the word in in a way that's edifying to the body and. Um, I think God has grace for that. I don't think everybody's um, 
John Stott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something I actually really admire of you and, and through the years, uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but like just your love for theology has kind of been um, uh, infectious in a way to, to me. You know, it's like mm-hmm. influencing and, and uh, I've heard you preach a few times. It's always inspiring to just gather, like to get back into the word in a godly way. Yeah. Well, the word is super interesting and I find the Bible fascinating and uh, you know, I believe it's the inspired word God. Um, of course, I think you, people misunderstand the ideas of inspiration. We could um, that could, the ideas of inspiration could mature a little bit in people's perspective. However, I, I love the Word of God. It's fascinating. I believe it is the Word of God, and I want other people to be excited too because I find it fascinating too. And I'm really, really sick and tired of character building preaches. Hmm. that and they have their place don't get me wrong but I'm I'm I've the whole I have an you know instead of preaching the word I have this sort of like here's how you're going to change yourself message and I apply it loosely to the word um manipulating the word around it not even manipulating the word but just you know treating the word as as set dressing Hmm. um, is really frustrating to me. I just want to exegete the Bible and in the stories of these real human beings and God involving himself in humanity, we will have all the character studies we need, but we will also get the picture of what God calls us to do and calls us to be and, and have a greater theological understanding. I really feel like um, most pastors do a great disservice to their congregation by assuming that their congregation is either uneducated or um, easily disinterested and they're afraid, oh, you know, I'm going to be too, this is going to be too theologically dense. Mm-hmm. It's going to be too erudite. No, if it's too theologically dense, if it's too erudite, that is your fault as the expositor. Your job is to understand the theology in such a way that you can articulate it to everyone. I, I do not understand a concept fully enough until I can explain it to a child. Mm, yeah. You know, the greatest minds were able to explain it to all levels. Yeah. Um, and so I and so I don't buy the excuse that the body can't. In the beginning when I was preaching, I first maybe thought like oh, I I'm preaching to the well, I was. I was like preaching to the imaginary college professor, you know, but I wasn't. I was teaching, I was preaching to mainly blue collar people in the, in the middle of the country. And what that caused me to do is not say, well, I need to dumb down my preaching, mm-hmm. but I needed to say, I need to reframe these concepts in a way that the people who I'm speaking to, the body will comprehend. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean, oh, now I'm not going to talk about these things. 
Now I'm always just going to talk about how important it is to be loving and and to work, you know, and to believe in yourself. I don't know. Um, I hope to God that people don't actually preach that. But um, and and you know, uh, and I hope that people get that. And I hope and I always I really really try hard to say there's no I, there's no separation. There's not the laity and the lay person. I am not. I don't have a Bible degree. I don't, I, there's tons of, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't speak Greek. There's so many things I don't know. And, um, and I don't want people to think that Evan has some special access to scripture that is not available to me. I have no special access to scripture that anybody else doesn't have access to, um, Maybe God's gifted me in a way of, of communication. You know, we all have our gifts. I recognize that. And there's certain gifts I definitely don't have in, in, in abundance. Um, and, you know, and so I might recognize that. Not everybody can be necessarily a preacher. Um, but everybody can understand the word more than they did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, because God wants us to. Yeah. So. And so once you start, you, it's hard to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that getting in the word. I mean, it's also easy to stop. You can be up lazy. <laughs> it is, and I've been, you know, all too guilty of that so often. Yeah, me too. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, once you get in, you start. God starts opening up your eyes to the scripture, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit starts talking to you. It almost becomes this addictive thing of knowing your Father in a way. Like mm-hmm. you're building this relationship, and you just want to know more, know more, and. That's how yeah. that and, Yeah. And it's, you know, and then I think there's a danger of like, um, maybe I can lose sometimes the personal aspect of, you know, um, I'm not only reading this to understand, but I'm reading this to understand a relationship with my father and the, the personal aspect of that. Um, maybe sometimes people just think about, oh, I read the Bible, not so much as to understand, but to be edified. Um, I, and I think some people just read the Bible to understand, but not necessarily to be edified. Um, so I don't want to be a cold theologian. There's a lot of people who, quote-unquote, like theology, yeah. but they don't want to live out the theology because that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. And, you, so do you, and I don't actually think you really understand something until you live it. Um, and that's the really hard part is um, not only understanding the theology, but living it out in its fullness. Um, because I think they're, I, gosh, I cannot tell you how many people go to Bible college and they get degrees and they ain't pastors. Um, and some of them were never meant to be pastors, uh, because they don't love people, yeah. you know? So they like reading. They like being able to impress people at dinner parties, um, with what they know, or they like, you know, or they, or they like people liking them. There's so many people who have a misconception of being a church leader that you are the liked person, that everybody will come to you for advice. Um, it's a nice desk job. You just get to drink coffee with people and sit around. And um, there's those guys exist, um, but they ain't doing church. And to be a real church leader means um, that you're going to get calls in the middle of the night you're going to watch people blow their lives up. You're going to watch people um, slander you in the most 
terrible ways. You're going to have your words used against you. Um, it's got, and, and, and all for the glory of God, man, it's, it's still, you know, it's still worth it. Yeah. Um, but it's not a glorious position. There's nowhere in the New Testament where it's like, oh my gosh, it's so great to be an apostle. I'm pretty sure, you know, Peter wasn't saying that when he was upside down being crucified, you know, like, oh my gosh, what a sweet gig this is. I mean, he was obviously like, I'm glorifying Christ. I'm living out what it means to be Christ. I'm literally taking up my cross as he is. But that is to take up one's cross is to suffer, serving and suffering uh, is the great is the call of greater leadership. Yeah, There's, it's not a it's not a, a glorifying position, and um, too often we think it is. Yeah, and you know maybe again media and YouTube. You look at pastors who have giant congregations and um, great production value, and it looks like that. And um, you know, and honestly, you know, some of them are people who really really love Jesus, and God has blessed them. And they're impacting people in a real way, and um, and and they have lots of fires to put out, and it's a super stressful thing, um, you know. And, and some of them are phonies, um, yeah. But yeah. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the church and mm-hmm. New Testament and right. how theology has affected your life. Mm-hmm. Um, what? What would you say to our audience today? Like, if you could write a letter, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of letters in the New Testament, right? Uh, if you could put a letter of First Seven, yeah, First Seven, Chapter One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what What would you like in summary? What would it, What would it be? It's not about you. Your life is not about you. It is not your story but it is God's story that he is telling through you every part of our being as sinners craves being the center of the story of actually thinking that the story is about us and from the beginning from our first father Adam that is the temptation to put ourselves on the throne, to become the authors of our own life, and rather than to submit to God, who knows better, who is so much greater than us, uh, and in his in the great mystery of the universe, has chosen to love us and chosen to spare his wrath um, from us, um, that we as human beings are not inherently good, uh, contrary to what popular culture may tell us all the time, that we cannot find truth within ourselves. We cannot find the power to accomplish our hopes and dreams within ourselves because our own hopes and dreams are in fact corrupt. And our appearance of goodness is only a veneer of civility which culture uses to operate. 
The truth is, in World War II, the Nazis were not able to do what they did in the extermination of 10 million people um, because Hitler was evil. Hitler didn't pull the trigger on 10 million people. Even what Germany did wasn't the act of 20 evil people. It was the act of evil people who created a culture in which doing good no longer became culturally acceptable. And so human beings reverted to who, what they are without God, uh, which is wanting to survive, uh, wanting to um, fit in. And if fitting in means turning your back as people are being taken to concentration camps or you actually pulling the trigger and being a part of that, then all these quote-unquote good people um, will be complicit in great evil. And that is something that is within all of us. Um, these, you know, if the 20th century hasn't taught us anything, it should teach us that that human beings can, all, all human beings are capable of great evil. And, you know, Stalin should have taught us that, Hitler should have taught us that, Mao should have taught us that, um, and that it is actually very difficult um, to do what is right when it is no longer acceptable within the culture. And that's why I always pray over my kids almost nightly, um, that I pray that God would have them do what is right, even when it is difficult. So I, I believe that that is largely entirely based upon uh, the spirit working within us. And that it is a power not that we can conjure up ourselves. There's no power within ourselves, but the power um, is afforded us by Jesus' blood, by his grace, uh, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And, yeah, so that's what First Evan would say. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Evan. You're um, welcome. This has been fun. I hope you, I hope this is good <laughs> listening material. This has been educational. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, yes. No, it's been great. And I think we'll have to have another session to learn about Second Evan. Yes. Um, yeah. Because we haven't gotten the weeds yet, man. No. I want to get into the theological weeds. Yes. Dude. We do, but you're moving on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and uh, so next time we do this, it'll either be when you're back, which is in two years, or it'll be over Zoom or Skype or some other form of technology. Yeah, let's do it. But yeah, cool. I, I think it'll be fun, because I do want to get into the weeds, I do want to pick your brain, but this is a good Evan. Primer. That's exactly it. Good All primer. Right. Fantastic, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Evan, again for joining us in today's episode. I hope you guys felt encouraged. I hope the appetite of theology and Jesus and getting in the Word, uh, I hope you guys were encouraged by that and you wanted to know more and dive deeper. Evan is one of those guys that just knows a lot, gathers a lot of information, and can tell you so much. And we just skimmed the surface in this episode. We'll have to catch future episode with him so we can learn more about him, theology, and uh, feel encouraged by him. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.